Hello, and welcome to Girls Gone Canon, A Song of Ice and Fire, Episode 73, Jon Snow in A Dance with Dragons, Chapter 7. I am one of your hosts, Chloe. You might know me from the internet as Lizen Arbor on Twitter, Tumblr, or from LizenArborGold.com, where I publish new essays. And I am another one of your hosts, Eliana. You might know me as Glass Table Girl on Reddit. Or on the Maester Monthly Podcast, or as Arithmetric on Twitter. You know, I love that sometimes you are always laughing on a take coming in, and sometimes there's nothing for <laughs> you to be laughing at, and people are like, what were they laughing at? And they'll never know. That's the beauty of the mystery, you know? That's the magic of editing, baby. <laughs> no, that's We gotta keep people guessing, you know? As they say in the Nancy Drew new television series commercial... Girls love mystery. We just we do. We, we like, love mystery. Yeah, we like being the mystery of what are we <laughs> laughing at. Well, we're gonna hit John seven today and take a break next week, like we've been doing with John last week of the month off. So, fingers crossed on that. Take a little breather. Yes, next week we are going to take a break from John and express how thankful we are for. A Song of Ice and Fire, and the friends that we've made through it. We give oh thanks God. to all of you. Uh, we'll still have our His Dark Materials Season 1 episode review for that week, but we will take a break from John. We'll be back the week after that, bringing you John 8 as we just dash to the end with Jon Snow. We're just running. We're actually going to be almost halfway or so done here, yeah. right? With uh, A Dance of Dragons, John. Are we? After he, this, he's yeah. got what, thirteen chapters? Thirteen, a, a lucky fortuitous number. Yeah, we might just finish him off. We'll oh, see. Oh my god! If no one else does first, I bet this is how George felt when he was writing John's chapters. He's like, I might just finish him off. I might just do it. Uh, George was probably just laughing the whole time, like <laughs> this foreshadowing. <laughs> <laughs> As he writes it all backwards, and he's like, "Oh, I gotta write new chapters now." <laughs> let's just get put, it, you let's guys. Just put a bunch of foreshadowing. Die. <laughs> uh, he's like, I really hope someone reads these books more than once, or else it'll all have been for naught. <laughs> yeah, maybe they'll make a podcast. Maybe they will. Uh, we didn't get a lot in emails or tweets of note, so. Uh, I take that as satisfactory. Our work was satisfactory last week. Thank you. Your work was satisfactory too, listeners. We did get a comment though on iTunes. Oh. So Becca Prudy on iTunes says that they are a Sagittarius, which is good to note. Oh, the third head of the dragon. We now have one person in the pool of candidates. A drop within it. Or not a drop, a, a spark. It took a very long time too. We, there was someone else who said that they were Sagittarius once, and uh, clearly we forgot who they were. I'm sorry. <laughs> you told us whoever you were in person. Or yeah, you were our first people choice. Voice. Probably. 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 <laughs> Becca's, Becca's in the running, too. Oh they are God. a strong second. I assume their name's Becca. Could actually be Becca Prudy. Who knows? A strong secondarius. Yes. Secondarius. Yes, exactly. <laughs> So let's jump into our lightning round and what we missed. Davos 4. Awaiting his death in the wolf's den, Wyman Manderly gives the big reveal to Davos. His court is a farce and the North remembers. He wants Davos to bring back the North's young wolf, Rickon Stark. But where's Rickon Stark? Only a place the gods know. Man, what an iconic chapter. 
Daenerys really? 6. It has been 26 days since a murder was committed on the streets of Irene, and Daenerys resigns herself to marrying his dar materials to continue <laughs> that piece. Oh my god. <laughs> Melisandre. After gazing into her fires, Melisandre enlightens Jon that the Lord of Bones is more than meets the eye. A. A. Reek 3. Serving Ramsay, Reek arrives eventually at Barrowton, where Barbary and Bruce attempt to give him back his name. You gotta remember your name. Aww. Tyrion 8. A red priest tells Tyrion he's not the only one to seek the mother of dragons. Brand three. Brand continues to finesse his abilities as a seer and is given weirwood paste to see through yeah. the eyes of Winterfell's heart tree. Weirwood paste? Weirwood paste? Weirwood paste, quote weirwood. unquote. Paste? John seven, a dance with dragons. John faces what the brutality of war against the free folk has caused in the eyes of the gods. He brings home the living and dead after watching new recruits say their vows and reads a letter from Stannis Baratheon, the king of the weak. But all along, Arya is what rings in his ears. And so we begin John 7. There's been dark skies and flurries for a week, and the haunted forest and the wall are spooky and beautiful and glimmering. But there's no movement beyond the ice and wind, which was not reassuring. John doesn't fear the living. He fears the dead, especially, you know, with the language in this chapter describing the snow on the trees as being icy banners. Once again, mm. making that connection between the armies of the dead and the living. Yeah, and what the dead ride for. Yeah. For whom the dead bell tolls. Uh, he commands Ed to craft an escort of ten men with dragon glass to leave within the hour with John heading them. Ed says some people might prefer that you stay and John smiles and he's like some people better not talk about it in front of me then. Good leadership. Uh, they're gonna. Yep. They ride down the winch as the wind picks up and John thinks of the ice dragon the old man told him of as a boy when the cold wind hits him. It's you, John. You're the ice dragon. It is. This is something that I actually I was thinking about as I was reading through this chapter. They keep talking about ghosts as like a white shadow. And I'm like, I get it because that makes no sense. It's opposites like an ice dragon or ice and fire. I get it. Love and hate could mate. The winch is swaying, hitting the wall from time to time and cascading ice that looks like broken glass down the wall. Glass, John mused, might be of use here. Castle Blot needs its own glass gardens like the ones at Winterfell. We could grow vegetables even in the deep of winter. The best glass came from Mia, but a good clear pane was worth its weight in spice, and green-yellow glass would not work as well. What we need is gold. With enough coin, we could buy prentice glass blowers and graziers in Mia, bring them north, offer them their freedom for teaching their art to some of our recruits. That would be the way to go about it, if we had the gold. Which we do not. That was John's thoughts. Thank you. He thinks, he thinks a lot of things. He's a brooding little boy. As Mary said when we had Maester Marion, he is the ultimate Byronic romantic hero, right? Mm -hmm. Just devastating. Some of these thoughts are really good from John. It shows his growth as a leader, his understanding of what skills will lead for survival for his people, and what is preventing them from obtaining both survival and raw supply to keep that survival. But also interesting that John's like, I'm going to buy some slave, some slaves from Mir and free them to work for me. 
it's kind of a little bit of a line that's being crossed with the whole savior thing. Uh, and later when the free folk get on the trading ship, for example, and end up sold into slavery from hard home, that's pretty shitty. Some of the stuff the show didn't fully explore like this, and it's very much so this idealism and thinking that it's the right way to go about things, and kind of gives vibes to how he might justify Danny, mm-hmm. her armies even. Um, I don't know, it was very, it was definitely a call out. I was like, John, that's not, that's nice, but what if you freed them and offered them a position and said there's work for them? Yeah, I I agree. I was like, that's a interesting language. I do think, of course, he means indentured servitude or indentured servants. Still not great. And I'm like, right. that's not awesome. And it made me realize a way to contrast in the way that John and Daenerys go towards changing things. And I'm not saying one's better than the other. Context matters for it, but like. John is changing the Night's Watch, right, in many ways, and trying to make it in more equitable to some extent, or more pragmatic, right, at least for the things that it needs to be. And uh, slavery is not part of that. But the point is, what, I, what I'm trying to get at is, like, John is the kind of person who's changing things from within the system, right, trying to be act as part of that system, whereas mm-hmm. Daenerys' approach is more about toppling systems in many ways Mm -hmm. um it might change when she gets to westeros right but it's interesting when the systems don't exactly topple so easily yeah and then she realizes like oh wait now we need new systems no there has to be some sort of system in place which is what her miranese arc is exploring while john's is in a different way so it makes a good contrast to one another but then the dance dance with dragons the two dragons those two other mm-hmm. ones old old and young bright and dark or whatever mm-hmm. the fuck else makoro says mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. ghost bounds toward john ready to go on with the ranging ed saddles up the gray gelding for john when bowen marsh angrily confronts john about going north of the wall saying the men can go say their vows in the sept just as easily but the old gods live in the wood, and John says it's unfair to not let people say their vows to their gods. Especially after the free folk just had their culture cleansed from them. Just putting it out there. This is kind of a nice move. You know, like, yeah. have some fucking sympathy, Marsh. Yeah, I agree. I was just like, dude, what the hell? And as we see later on from some of the wildlings being like, yeah, we heard that everyone who went south of the wall and promised to convert anyway were burned. So... Mm-hmm. <laughs> clearly, clearly that was bad. All right, Don't... could use some good PR. Yeah, That's all I'm could saying. lose some good PR after you were all like trying to you know rip people's culture out. Anyways, and also the people who want to go north, it's interesting. They're kind of following to some extent Sam's example, right? Because they're, they're a couple of them are from the Reach or Southern men who are like, hey, I want to convert, and that's why Marsh is all like, oh. They can't do that. They worship the new gods. And that's why John retorts and said, I do not tell men which god to worship. They were free to choose the seven or the red woman's lord of light. They chose the trees instead, with all the peril that entails. Marston warns that the weeping man might still be out there, who comes through in that uh, Melisandre chapter, and that this is unwise. And John agrees. Yeah, it's unwise, but it's still necessary. The Night's Watch has existed for so long, thousands of years of brotherhood, and John argues the words of the Watch matter, that traditions are important. He promises Marsh the return, and Marsh is like, yeah, but will you be alive or dead? And 
Marsh also kind of pokes at him and says, you know, other season rangers have also disappeared, like your uncle, Benjen. But John has ghosts, and he says he fears not. He tells Bowen the wall is his, and off they fuck. Ghost sniffs the ground as they form up to ride out and bounds into the woods to hunt. Although John is unsure of what he's hunting. Yeah, I, I really like how John was just out there, right? He was telling everyone, you know, I got something. I got something that Benjen didn't have. I got something all those other rangers didn't have. It's my wolf. And then once <laughs> they get to the other side... Ghost is like, peace the fuck out, you're on your own, dude. John's like, I got nothing. And I'm just like, this inspires very, very little faith. John's working with, like, nothing. He's got a skeleton crew, no pun intended. He's got ghosts that, like, runs off at every moment. Sucks. I mean, everything turns out fine, but I was also just like... Good timing. Comedic timing. Terrible, John. You fool. (laughs) John has trust and faith, though. He has faith in ghosts that ghosts will come back. So he moves the men along. He sends Tom Barleycorn to scout and Big Little and Luke of Longtown as well to the west and the east. John trusts these men. They're well-seasoned, like a steak. He knows every single one's name, each armored with obsidian. Did you see my tweet where I asked what what it flavor the rangers are that george says are seasoned no i didn't well it's every time i read these books and george is like they were seasoned men i'm like what kind of seasoning it's that seasoned, or are they all like cast iron pans Mm, that smoky seared taste that sounds good to me oh no i mean the really annoying thing where you stick your pan in and keep putting oil on it that's what i mean but adding food to that. Yeah. Mm. Which is what you're supposed to do, right? Ideally. Unlike me mm-hmm. fucking up my pants all the time. Oh my god. <sighs> Anyways. I've spoken about this before in John's chapters and, you know, how much he's like Ned and trying to get to know his men. But, like, this emphasis that John has each of their names on his heart and stuff. I remember, again, that scene from Ned's chapters. And, you know... We're already getting sad about John a little, but what if we also got sad about Ned right now? All right, I'm going to do this to us. Hooray. Yay. Uh, No, Ned Stark screamed, clawing for his sword. Jamie was already cantering off down the street as he heard Will shout. Men closed from both sides. Ned rode one down, cutting at phantoms and red cloaks who gave way before him. Jory Cassell put his heels into his mount and charged. A steel-shod hoof caught a Lannister guardsman in the face with a sickening crunch. A second man reeled away, and for an instant, Jory was free! Will cursed as they pulled him off his dying horse, sword slashing in the rain that Ned galloped to him, bringing his longsword down on Trigger's helm. The jolt of impact made him grit his teeth. Trigger stumbled to his knees... His lion crest sheared in half, blood running down his face. Heward was hacking at the hands that had seized his bridle when a spear caught him in the belly. Anyways, I don't really remember who Will and Heward are, but we all remember Jory, right? Of course. But, like, that John, he's the same as Ned, remembering all these randos' names. All these minor, minor characters. Yeah. From, like, horse, horse to long, whatever, little. Big, yeah, little, big little Tom Barleycorn. <laughs> Luke of Longtown, we literally just said their names, and I forgot them immediately. Oh my <laughs> god, you are not a very good leader. Well, That's what we're not, learning. They're not my men. 
Uh, 63 wildlings had come back to the wall with John from Molestown, yet only two were here now to say their vows. <sighs> Rough crowd. Mm. Emmett rides at the head of the column, telling John there was trouble at Harden's Tower, which is affectionately called Harlot's Tower, uh, where the 19 female free folk are staying. Three drunken men had tried to use Harden's Tower as their own brothel, and were now in the ice cells, thinking very strongly about what they'd done. John suggests more guards, and Emmett's like, who's going to guard them? Who watches the the Watchmen? Not a cast podcast does. Haha. <laughs> we do a different HBO show. Yeah, we do a different HBO show. <laughs> we do a good one. I'm just kidding. Watchmen's really good, too. They're both not Game of Thrones. So there's this line from Egret that John remembers in this moment that I guess I didn't think to address. I don't know. We didn't think to address back then in, uh, when we read it. But it makes me wonder if this is about Daenerys. But that kind of makes it even more unnerving, if it is. And the line is, Egret saying, A man can own a woman, and a man can own a knife, Egret had told him once. But no man can own both. Which, of course, I strongly was like, stabby, stabby, stomach stab. Yeah. I was like, oh. Sad. Interesting word. (laughs) (sighs) John tells him his plan. He means to open up Deep Lake, Sable Hall, and Long Barrow. All of them will be manned by free folk, with the watch officers in place. He plans for Long Barrow to be an all-female guard except for the commander and the steward, and that the distances would definitely stop some of the mingling. Emmett's like, oh, what sucker's getting stuck with that shitty job? And John's like, haha, you're the sucker, <laughs> it- you and Ed. <laughs> it's you! I love the description of what happens uh, when Iron Emmett finds out. It's described as a look of like mixed horror and delight. <laughs> and obviously, as we know, Ned only felt dread when he was offered to become Hand of the King. It wasn't really an offer. Robert's like, I'm commanding you. You have to do this now. And how it's his responsibility. It's just interesting to see how different people react to getting more responsibility. And I just <laughs> like the description of Iron Emmett. It's fucking real. Both horror and it's delight. Oh, oh, I'm in charge. Sometimes at work, I'm just like, what What am I doing with all this power? Who put me <laughs> in charge of these decisions? And also, I mean, I don't know if there's as much delight. Maybe I react more like Ed, who's gonna be real upset. Ed's gonna be like, what? <laughs> Me? <laughs> One of my coworkers just started following us on Twitter today, mm-hmm. actually, and I'm like, oh, good. This is good. This could only get better. Could it? I don't know. <laughs> I get you, Ned and Ed. I get it. <laughs> I would suggest that they give some power to the Magna of Then and give him a castle, but John can't trust him. John explains that the Then aren't like the Free Folk. He doesn't require a man to kneel, but he needs them to obey. That's what makes the Karstark marriage so smart, right? John can't make the Thens respect him unless he gives them agency of their own and a voice at the table, right? They want to have a voice at the table. And John didn't want to go the Stannis route with everything, but he's made so many choices, he's backed into this corner. So he's trying to decision his way out pretty much this entire end of the book. And, well, he decisions his way out. (laughs) His way out of life. (laughs) Uh, i pardoned you from life Uh, well i guess he gets pardoned from death you know is that what resurrection technically is if you think about it death can pay for life wow and john died that pays for his life i don't think that's what that means but i'm gonna say it's what it means right this second (laughs) i analyze things i'm smart (laughs) 
Emmett thinks uh, John will have trouble if he doesn't do something about the Thens, though, and John thinks on all his problems, and he's like, well, Halleck's causing trouble in the yard. The night for its restoration, I have all of these projects, so many projects, no teams to get it done. No resources. No resources, no teamwork and collaboration between everyone to get it done. So what's going on in John's chapter is kind of... uh, Makes me think we're going to see something a little like this down the line. There's a lot of different parallels throughout a couple of arcs throughout A Song of Ice and Fire, right? Like, Brendan B. Fish has written on how the plot in Marine with Danny is in many ways mirroring the political intrigue, right, of King's Landing, especially in the beginning of the book. But it's on the other side of the world. Um, I'm also in the credit section of this post. And we also okay. spoke during Sansa's chapters about how her veil chapters are basically... A lot of that po- political intrigue that you're seeing in King's Landing and across all of Westeros, but in miniature. So John's chapters and his difficulty with reconciling the Free Folk and the Men of the Night's Watch, who all come from different places and cultures as well, right? They, they have different religions, and some of them are straight up converting right now. Like, that's an appetizer for another way that we're going to see this in the story with all the different Westerosi, right? Getting them to build trust with one another, getting them to eventually build trust with the Asosi, especially because some of them were just fighting a very brutal war with one another. A lot of those wounds are still fresh from, like, the Lannisters, etc. And, I mean, switching sides to making these immediate and hasty alliances is going to be difficult. It's great seeing a lot of these politics finally coming into play at the Wall when you start a Game of Thrones, the wall isn't a player, but John has kind of brought them into playership without, I don't know, the wall asking for this, obviously. I never asked for this. I never asked for this. <laughs> Egret, Sonza, Daenerys, Arya. You can keep that. Uh, <laughs> I was gonna... <sighs> He thinks to Egret that he knows nothing. Ah, that's the thing. Oh, that he thinks, that's ah. the thing. It's the thing. He thought the thing. I like that Egret walks with him through mm. this chapter, right? It's like her ghost is there with him while he does all these things and hopes that he's making a choice she would almost respect. Yeah. Um, doesn't have to like, but at least a choice she can respect. I feel like that's his meter. And she's there. She's rhythmically there in every step. Oh, I just really like the way that you phrased that and interpreted that. And I think that is very much how we should see it. Egret yeah, she's the along. ghost haunting it. Yeah. Uh, by the end of the chapter, he thinks about the ghost in Winterfell. But what about the ghost at the wall walking with him right now? The wolf? <laughs> she's not walking <laughs> no, with him not. right now. He, he, off he fucked, Chloe. Off he fucked. <laughs> so... They continue past the stream. John tells them they're not far now. He's met with no response because everyone's probably just fucking cold. Uh, John can smell Tom Barleycorn before he actually sees him. And he doesn't know if it's because the guy stinks or if it's because ghosts smelled him first. That's interesting. Does he stink? <laughs> I've never heard of this description of Tom Barleycorn until now, you know? Yeah, I don't think he stinks. Maybe it's just ghost. Tom brings news of free folk in the grove. Some dead or asleep, most women, a child, a giant. They have a fire burning, and he calls them fools for that. But let's break that down. They're not fools. They're desperate. Some of them are dead, some barely moving. They aren't lighting that fire for fun. They're lighting it for survival. Yeah, and it's not just that. The fire, as we know, right? That's why it was the old bear's ring of fire. It yeah. keeps it keeps some enemies at bay. 
right? Dead ones, cold ones. Not the other kind of cold ones who are feeling the cold, just ones that bring it. John begins to command the men. Rory and Pate go to the horses. The rest of the men form a crescent as they go on foot. He thinks, I have seven and ten against the nine, and four of mine are green boys, and no giants. He thinks that if they take them unawares, they might have a chance as the sight of the weirwood comes up ahead of them. There are nine free folk and nine trees, by the way. I thought that was really interesting. Mm -hmm. We're going to talk about it in a second because I love this description. Each one had a face carved into it, and no two faces were alike. Some were smiling, some were screaming, some were shouting at him. In the deepening glow, their eyes looked black. But in daylight, they would be blood red, John knew. Eyes like ghosts. The fire in the center of the grove was a small, sad thing. Ashes and embers and a few broken branches burning slow and smoky. Even then, it had more life than the wildlings huddled near it. Hmm. That's sad. (sighs) Yeah, they're, they're taking their strength, the last bit of strength they have from the weirwood, the free folk are. Just like the Stark kids mm. seek solace in their religion and the old gods in Winterfell as they uh, are away from it and home-stricken. Sansa and the gods when Clash of Kings holds very strong to this. The Nauticast podcast is actually about to cover this chapter in just a couple weeks. I'm really excited to hear what the ultra-fan Brendan B. Fish has to say about it. You know, he's a very strong Sansa supporter. Very strongly noted, so. It's chronicled. <laughs> if you remember my essay yeah, on Reddit.com. A historian. Yep. The Sansa it. A historian, yeah. Yes. And But that's the direct comparison, right? The faces of the trees represent the free folk and the split in loyalties and people looking to John for leadership. Some were screaming, some were shouting at him, mm. some were smiling at him. Divided. Oh, I think that's really interesting. <laughs> the, the, Thank you. Yeah. The faces. But uh, as you said, all of them like taking strength from it and finding solace in their religion um and that kind of reminded me of like there's a line one of these men says later right like these dying men they're like i don't know it was cold and shitty and we figured you know this is where our gods are it was as good a place to die as any and in the context of Arya's storyline right that's very much what's going on with the house of black and white yeah yeah but I like um, this idea of the division. John enters the Free Folk's territory quietly, and a child wails and a woman gasps, because by then the rangers are all surrounding them. I also kind of wonder if this scene and some of the imagery, right, of the Free Folk in there is supposed to kind of mirror the Game of Thrones prologue, right? Where mm-hmm. each of them in a circle begin closing in on Waymar, and like they had originally found a group. I don't know that it is. Maybe there's only so many ways that you can like phrase was happening, right? Yeah. Anyways. The giant wakes and roars at the steel, and then Ghost bears his teeth, and John has to, like, rein everybody in. He's like, we don't want battle, just peace. The giant's roar shakes the leaves in the trees, and he slams his maul down and shakes the earth lightly, and the free folk grab their arms, and John fears all is lost until others talks him down in the old tongue, saying that, alright, we all came to pray to the same god, so they put their steel down. Two free folk are dead. One is so weak he would die in the next day. Six remaining free folk, though barely remaining, with the mother and child, two men, a wounded then, and a hornfoot who was frostbitten to the point of never walking again. They all came together by chance, fleeing into the woods to f- once Stannis had broken their host 
all coming to the Grove later on. And that's what's so upsetting about this is not just the nine weirwoods and the nine free folk, but this is what you did, Stannis, by burning their gods. This is what you've done. Because, like you said, what we just heard was them saying, well, we heard you guys burned everyone. Yeah, they were like, we heard that it was basically a trap. So what was the point? Our choice was that or this, which is why John thinks like, God damn it. Melisandre's got a lot to answer for with that pulling that stunt. Yeah. The people are wary of them for that reason, right? They came to the trees because the trees weren't going to burn them. And they heard rumor that the crows burned everyone that yielded. Yeah. That's a lot to answer for right there. Like, so many lives that could have been saved, but now either A, terribly they are dead, or B, they're going to come back. It's going to be great. (laughs) It's going to be awesome. It's fine. It's fine. This is a great plan. John gives all of them, though, his word as a commander of the Night's Watch, and as Ned Stark's quote-unquote son... That nothing's going to hurt them, right? And he calls the men to bring up the horses. But first, they have to do the actual thing that they came here for, the whole reason they did this, like, crazy thing, which is to go see the bows. The last light of day was gone by then. The only light came from the stars above and the faint red glow of the dying fire in the center of the grove. With their black hoods and thick black cowls, the six might have been carved from shadow, Their voices rose together, small against the vastness of the night. Night gathers and now my watch begins, they said as thousands had said before them. Satin's voice was sweet as song, horses hoarse, and halting Aaron's a nervous squeak. It shall not end until my death. May those deaths be long in coming. John Snow sank to one knee in the snow. Gods of my fathers, protect these men, and are you too, my little sister, Wherever she might be, I pray you, let Mounts find her and bring her safe to me. I shall take no wife, hold no lands, father no children, the recruits promised, in voices that echoed back through years and centuries. I shall wear no crowns and win no glory. I shall live and die at my post. Gods of the wood, grant me the strength to do the same, Jon Snow prayed silently. Give me the wisdom to know what must be done and the courage to do it. I am the sword in the darkness, said the six, and it seemed to John as though their voices were changing, growing stronger, more certain. I am the watcher on the walls, I am the fire that burns against the cold, the light that brings the dawn, the horn that wakes the sleepers, the shield that guards the realms of men. The shield that guards the realms of men. Oh, dramatic. That was like, drama. Just a dramatic boy. He is. He's that Byronic hero. He's like, here's my inner monologue. I'm sad. And damned. And damned. I'm never going to let it go. He's never going to live it down. God. He really won't. He's going to die. Um, I shall take no wife, hold no lands, father no children, the recruits promised, in voices that echoed back through years and centuries. Spooky. Tingly. In it's front of really the weirwood. Good. Yeah. I mean, right all those memories. of of red leaves. <laughs> God. <laughs> uh, I meant because of, you know, the weirwood.net, yeah. Eliana. But yeah. thank you. Thank you for that. Is I'm it, glad that you're here. Is in front of my weirwood pace the same as saying in front of my salad questions that I have? These I are mean, the important ass-off questions. Especially when your weirwood pace has the same color as the house colors of your salad. Wait. No, I fucked that up. The opposite. Listen, something about Jojen. Something, something Jojen read. 
Yes. Green. Sigil. We I did tried. It. This is it. This is the analysis. I knew what you were saying, though. I got you. I get you. You and I were like Ghost and John, you know? I sniffed. Word relation game. Word association. Yes. That one. <laughs> so, I didn't notice that till now. They're in sight of the gods in the weirwood. Voices that echoed back through years and centuries. Mm. It's great to compare this chapter to when John took his vows back in A Game of Thrones, John 6. They said the words together as the last light faded in the west and gray day became black night. Hear my words and bear witness to my vow, they recited, their voices filling the twilight grove. Night gathers and now my watch begins. It shall not end until my death. I shall take no wife. Hold no lands, father no children. You guys know the fucking vows. Uh, yeah. The woods fell silent. You knelt as boys, Bowen Marsh intoned solemnly. Rise now as men of the night's watch. Uh, it is interesting. I feel like you have a different thing that you want to say, but I, it's only sinking in now that it was Bowen Marsh, right? Who took John all the way out there and is the one who's telling him, Don't do you it. Know, you don't have to do it, right? <laughs> yeah. It is interesting that his opposition is kind of contrasted here. Even the language about what type of day it is and the the light fading into the west, it all kind of tracks. So it's a nice little throwback. This is how far John has come in the watch. Yeah, and it's like that next generation, right? Mm -hmm. Of men of the night's watch taking those vows because as he stands here now, uh, watching them take their vows and not taking it with them, he's doing sort of his own prayer and pledge or plea mm -hmm. right to the old gods and he's like protect them watch over them <sighs> anyway they don't yep they sure don't <laughs> they sure don't john tells them though to rise now as men of the night's watch and now the winds were rising the winds of winter are rising <laughs> <laughs> and it's time to get the fuck out Oh my god. The giant takes forever, pacing-wise. The other men are slow as well, since they're, like, barely alive, and the dead bodies are slowing them, too. Emmett doesn't understand why they kept the dead, and John's like, I have a use for them. Okay. I, th I thought we were quoting Emmett for a second. <laughs> Every day <laughs> in this book. Only faint patches of stars remain in the sky, no moon, so they trot slowly home under the light of the thief, the Red Wanderer. You might remember the thief from uh, Egret when she says the best time to steal a woman is when it's in the moon maid. But not sure it was trying to forewarn them of giants in this moment and how big and slow they're being. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of women and girls, as we discussed last episode, right, who are stealing away right now. Fleeing, fleeing some marriages. Yes. And we'll talk a little bit about this in a bit. So the giant, though, he's like big, he's... Bigger than Mag, so that's pretty fucking big. Mag was pretty mighty, you know? Mag the Mighty. John puts Leathers, he's like, alright, you're the giant's buddy now. We have a buddy system. <laughs> and it's you, because you're the only one who speaks his language. And then John sends the rest of the now Night's Watchmen to get their wounds tended to. He returns to the chamber, and he's greeted by a scroll wrapped with a wax seal. It's a stag's head with a flaming heart. He's surprised to see it, but like deep down inside, John has been waiting for this one new message icon badge. He's been waiting for this DM for so long. 
He checks his phone every night. He's like, oh, Hestana's texting. Oh, my God. Red. Left on red for so long. Uh, the letter reads that Stannis has taken Deepwood Mott. The mountain clans joined him. Flint, Nori, Wool, Little, all of them. Unexpected help from Alisane Mormont, the she-bear. The Greyjoy's longships burned and taken. I-, I loved this little detail. In the letter, it says her crew slain or surrendered, which is like, it's Asha yeah. that tells us that's who it was. It could have been anyone of the Greyjoys, but that's who it was, the girl. It it took me a moment to like reread that. And I was like, oh. Mm-hmm. I thought that was really clever. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, there's the line, the captains, knights, notable warriors, and others of high birth, we shall ransom or make other use of. The rest I mean to hang. Oh, he's so charming, that Stannis Baratheon. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. John's like, I'm going to take a screenshot. That's basically what he does. He, like, leaves the letter out. He's like, oh, no, it got rolled up again. (laughs) John knows that the Watch can't take any part in this, but he feels a big sense of satisfaction as Stannis goes on. Uh, More Northmen have been joining Stannis daily. People from the Wolfswood, villagers who have escaped the Ironmen, men from the Hornwoods, the Kerwins, the Taller Hearts. We are 5,000 strong as I write, our numbers swelling every day. And word has come to us that Roose Bolton moves forward toward Winterfell with all his power, there to wed his bastard to your half-sister. He must not be allowed to restore the castle to its former strength. We march against him. Arnulf Karstark and Moore's Umber will join us. I will save your sister if I can, and find a better match for her than Ramsay Snow. You and your brothers must hold the wall until I can return. It was signed in a different hand. Done in the light of the Lord, under the sign and seal of Stannis of House Baratheon, the first of his name, King of the Andals, the Roinar, and the first men, Lord of the Seven Kingdoms, and Protector of the Realm. Holy titles, Batman. Um, Stannis here like this is probably him at his most likable right he's almost gracious he's winning it's when he loses that Stannis becomes a little more unbearable Uh, right now he's victorious he's righteous he's uh, taking the north and winning the north and he's doing it by putting some hard work in which is actually a little impressive good for you Stannis it does remind me a little bit of how his downfall will be when he loses all of this sometime, that's going to be really rough to watch. And it reminds me of this quote from A Game of Thrones, Danny Six. She would not weep, she decided. She would not shiver with fear. The usurper has woken the dragon now, she told herself. It makes me think that we're going to see some of these behaviors between the two characters, between Stannis and Danny, eventually. Yeah, and I mean, like, same same thing, right? When she has some of those victories, we actually kind of saw it already, right? In Essos, people flocked to her and they joined her cause, even though they had been pledged or whatever to someone else. And we'll see that definitely in her storyline as we're seeing it with Stannis's right now. John tries to imagine a battle on Winterfell, though, with no Stark. I feel like this is such a nod to uh, a Stark civil war idea right and because we might have the opposite problem later too many starks in winterfell versus not enough yeah too many starks (laughs) (laughs) too many starks jumping on the bed i'm in the no civil war camp i think we've talked about this before but i'm in the there's not going to be a civil war camp thing for winterfell they don't have enough time and they do know it's important and sansa won't 
I don't think Sansa will come full attack of Jon's king in the north. She'll be happy to be home. Yeah, I think there will be tension. Yeah. But not an actual civil war. There will be like, we're about to have maybe a war. And then everyone's going to be like, wait, no. As you said, they're going to be like, we don't have time for this. We have only two more books and we got to wrap it up, everyone. If the show... uh, (laughs) Allegedly. If their creative choice in the show of saying, you know, like... Sansa, you're really the lady of the North. You know, I don't want this. Like, they chose me. I have to serve. If that's a thing in the books, then I'm sure it'll be written out well enough. Yeah, we'll figure it. We'll see one day, maybe. Uh, I mean, the winds of winter are rising, as John pointed out. (laughs) I did really love the wording, though, of the castle is a shell. Not Winterfell, but the ghost of Winterfell. And I was like, whoa, I know that phrase. Mm -hmm. I do, too. That's... That's uh, like that chapter. That's Theon. That other POV that we did, yeah. And I thought that was interesting because, like, everyone kind of always assumes, right, that the ghost in Winterfell is is the hooded man or it means that. But, like, based on this language in John's chapter and how he's talking about Winterfell itself, like, being a ghost, right, it, it's the shell of House Stark. It's not a home for them anymore it's not their home if they're not in it if it's full of all these bad memories and and all those people who are doing weird things in there right like how Reese Bolton must not be allowed to restore it but again Ramsay Snow avenged the Red Wedding and therefore I mean I <laughs> yeah I so hi <laughs> <laughs> so therefore um but yeah like they're all right now trying to figure out who they are. They're all kind of ghosts of themselves, but not actually. They're all kind of pretending to be different people right now. And they're all going to come back at some point, regain their stark selves, because John's about to actually be in Ghost at some point, probably, because he's going to be dead. And, like, yeah, the, the ghost in Winterfell, you know, if you reread that chapter, a ghost in Winterfell... Theon himself is a shell of his former self, and eventually he finds Theon again, and as we see, it, it's a weird place now, Winterfell. It's it's a topsy-turvy world where people are pushing each other off of walls, people are killing their cousins, and you're like, what the hell is going on here? <laughs> and fake Arya, that's happening too, so. I would actually, I'm gonna argue, I'm gonna get controversial and argue with you. I know this is the best part of the whole show. <laughs> is it? I would say John's not the ghost of Winterfell yet, but I would say when later when he's ruling as king, he likely is. And I would say the bigger ghost of Winterfell really is Lyanna, um, as far as ghosts mm. that are causing all of this activity. I think it's like all multiple things. It's like, because he's not being a Stark right now, right? None of them are being Starks. Right, and the closest he'll ever get to be to a Stark is if and when he is king in the North. But I think in the end, he's the ghost of Winterfell in the end, because he doesn't get to belong there. Uh, He's caught between the two worlds, right? He has unfinished business. He's caught between the two worlds and is a ghost. But I, yeah, there's also like this other idea that I think of, especially in this idea of the ghost of Winterfell, of it just like as a manifestation in general, right? Of the Stark family as it, at first in its glory, this great like homey place, and then shattered and with the family you know all split apart and then later on they rebuild it and they try and make it a family again or something yeah but it's still a little broken and they will need work but anyway like lilo and stitch 
Yes. Aww. <laughs> Broken. Still good. Yeah. Still good. Yes. Yes, it's exactly like that. Like Brian says, it's not, uh, it's just broken, like me. Yeah. It's not gone. But still good. Still good. Yeah, still good. Still good. Um, he wonders how many men, he wonders how many men, <laughs> I can't even talk. <laughs> he wonders how many men Crow Food and Karstark will bring. Thinking of where the armies are split across the north, he knows the greatest strength of House Umber died south with Rob. And he also knows that he also knows Winterfell gives an advantage to anyone who holds it. And he thinks on how another king, Stannis' brother, Robert, would have acted in this scenario. I thought this was interesting. He's thinking like a king, or like several kings here, thinking what he would do, thinking what Stannis would do, what Robert would do. I think we're pretty aligned he's going to get to be king, obviously, at some point. So... He's taking all these burdens on for his own tiny realm at the wall and looking out for the north when no one else is. Mm -hmm. And, of course, when he shouldn't be. (laughs) Yeah, he really shouldn't be. I will say he's not exactly right. Winterfell does not give an advantage to whoever holds it. Again, Exhibit A, Theon Greyjoy. What a disadvantage for him. (laughs) Ruin his entire life. What? Uh, GG. John thinks that Robert would have secured the castle immediately with marches and midnight rides, as he, you know, likes to do. And Stannis, though, he's not so bold. He's a strong commander, but his armies are a mix of the clansmen and tired southern soldiers who are like, oh my god, I hate the snow, probably, and northerners who probably also are like, I hate the snow. (laughs) Some people like snow, and I'm just like, I don't get Um, it, as winter comes here. And? Do you like the snow? I love the snow. Even the shoveling and all the other shit that goes along with it. Yeah, I mean, I don't have to do much of it. I only do yeah, a little bit. Did. But when you did, I don't know. I was even fine then. I'm not a baby. John thinks uh, that Santa should move on Winterfell soon or not do it at all. He knows he shouldn't advise this king, though, and he looks at the line about Arya once more and the addendum to it that he's like, if I can. Also, I'm gonna find her a better husband. No, my <laughs> sister should be a virgin forever. Dress her in holy flowers and water. John screams. I'm just kidding. He didn't scream that. That's like some Ti shit. Relevant. Oh my hashtag. god. Yeah. He doesn't. He doesn't think that. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's in the original outline. It does remind me of Ned, though. Of Ned telling Sansa, "I'll find you a better husband for you." Oh, yeah, a little Remember? bit. Remember? Yeah. He goes on to think the further and he's like, what if Arya wasn't even there? What if Melisandre was right that she escaped? And he doesn't know how Arya would have escaped because, yeah, she's ferocious, but she's nothing but a young girl. And Roose would not be careless with her. Ha 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 ha. The irony Uh, that Roose had already lost her once. Yep. Ha 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 ha. I will will tell you how Arya escaped many times, just not at this time. Yeah. (laughs) She escaped way past then, and that's how she's avoided this phase. Well, she's straight chilling outside right now. She's like death and shit. She's out there. Yeah, she's like, I'm running my own Weirwood Grove. Yeah. (laughs) For the hospice over here. Thanks, big bro. You know, he thinks, what if Bolton didn't have my sister at all? So close to the truth. And mm. thinks that the wedding could be a trap for Stannis. Also likely close to the truth. But what about a trap for me? <laughs> John should have thought. <laughs> Traitor sign. Eddard had never trusted Roose, although he'd never complained about him. 
wouldn't be the first wedding trap Bolton kind of pulled off, right? And it is a trap. I mean, inviting them to the wedding, that's plain to see. Like, if they show up, it wouldn't go well for them. Who the fuck would accept a wedding invitation for Bruce Bolton? That's true. Or Ramsey. Yeah, they just have to be like, um, sure, we'll come along, but we all get to hold on to our, <laughs> we're, we're all gonna hold on to our weapons and also everyone's sober. <laughs> oh, a dry this wedding. the driest wedding, I know, uh, right? No one likes a dry ride wedding. <laughs> So then John thinks about the dying girl again on her gray horse, and then he remembers Mance Raider, who he dispatched to Winterfell with six fear wives, if you'll all remember, and smuggled them from Molestown for Mance. They're young and pretty and ferocious girls, and John could barely trust the Oathbreaker slash Trinkcloak, but he does admire him and thinks he would try his very best. He trusts Melisandre even less. All to save my sister, but the men of the Night's Watch have no sisters. When John had been a boy at Winterfell, his hero had been the young dragon, the boy king who conquered Dorne at the age of fourteen. Despite his bastard birth, or perhaps because of it, John had dreamed of leading men to glory, just as King Darren had, of growing up to be a conqueror. Now he was a man grown, and the wall was his, yet all he had were doubts. He could not even seem to conquer those. Damn. Bummer. Big mood, though. Like, you're not alone, John. Talk Isn't about, that what growing up is? Being like, yeah. I used to have dreams. Talk about coming of age. Absolutely. Yeah. That's how I felt. I was like, ah, to be young. To be 15, 16 again. To be 15 and 16 and thinking, oh, I don't think I'll be a conqueror anymore. Yeah, and I mean, maybe the ice zombies will just, like, go away. Fingers crossed. Yeah, and so he's just gonna date a conqueror, right? Aww. Opposites attract. Cute couple alert. Oh, God. Um... Yeah, so that that is where this chapter ends with John doubting himself. You know, another dramatic note, <laughs> as he do. Damned and damned, <laughs> never gonna let it go. And so earlier in this chapter, we were talking about the consolation of the thief, and and I think here, right, it's because John's thinking about stealing a girl. It's not Egret, but his sister. Oh my god, Arya. I thought that was I like out how of the you know what I was. I, I like how you know what I'm referencing with a. I know everything you think. It's really scary and uncanny. <laughs> but in terms of just language and the story, though, John Wright has resigned himself to the idea that he has no blood brothers left. He's like, well, Rob's dead, and he thinks that Rickon and Bran are also dead. But one of his not blood brothers, Sam, knows that this is untrue. Anyway, John, like, he feels safer. I think in a way. In his bastardy, knowing that Rob and Rickon and Bran are dead, he's like, now I can never betray them. I mean, he still feels some guilt about it, remembering uh, Rob and, like, the way that they used to play, right? About, like, being Darren and other heroes. Yeah, being Darren the Young Dragon or Aemon the Dragon Knight. Or the Lord of Winterfell. Ooh. Yeah. Source subject. Yeah, and he feels some guilt, but at the same time, he's like, it's all right. Now I can never betray Rob, because he's dead. And I have these new brothers now, and I know all their names, and I trust them all with my life. They're my new family. So the conflict, like, in dance becomes not a choice necessarily just between John's, like, families of the Wall and the Starks, which is something that we keep reiterating because it's going to become a choice of the Starks or the Targaryens for John. But it's John choosing between, instead, his brothers or his sisters, 
how can he be loyal to both? And like at first he thought he could be loyal to both by choosing loyal to loyalty to his brothers. He was like, loophole Sanus, I did it. Amazing. Good job, me. <laughs> uh, I'm safeguarding Winterfell for Sansa and and I'm keeping my vows and staying as a brother. But then a wild card got thrown into this whole mix with Arya being wed to Ramsay. So now he's just like, shit. What do I do? How can how can I feel two things at once to quote the YA novel Twitter account? You're Targaryen and you're Stark, John. Um, no, that's not the problem here, but it will be someday. <laughs> someday. Um, I, yeah, I think it's interesting that the sisters are more of the problem, right? Rickon doesn't threaten any of John's bastard claim, which is barely there. Rickon's like five now at most. Brienne is still young and he's off being a tree, so we know his ending will take some time and journeying and won't come about till the very end. That's why they call it an ending. And Sansa and Arya are those big wild cards, right? Like, that's what's going to mess with Jon's rulership the most. Absolutely. Not Bran, not Rickon, not Rob's dead ghost of him that, like, makes him doubt himself. It's Arya and Sansa. And that partially has to do with how, like, the system of Westeros is set up, right? Like, I discussed this with Matt, a.k.a. Joe Magician, who joined us for a John chapter long, 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 long ago, <laughs> back when John was first taking his vows. And we were talking about how a lot of the POVs, right, they follow people who don't structurally have power, and that's John. That's a lot of the women and girl POVs. That's why there's that tension there, because both of them are frequently disenfranchised within the Westerosi system. Yeah. Well, I guess I want to talk about how John idolizes the young dragon. John's idolization of Darren the young dragon, there aren't perfect parallels, but there's enough that, like, we should look at this in reading the story, right? Darren was Aegon III's first son and heir. Aegon III was shrouded in a kind of a cloud of doom and depression, right? I mean, he saw his mom eaten up by a dragon. So much like Rhaegar, Rhaegar kind of was brought into this world under a cloud of doom. Darren's uncle was the Hand of the King, Viserys. He goes on to conquer Dorne within a couple of years of setting out, age 14. He stays to eliminate rebels and traitors, and his cousin Aemon almost dies trying to protect him from an assassination attempt. The Dornish small folk rise up. Darren goes back down to Quellet. He attempts to meet with the Dornish under a peace treaty, but they assassinate him. He's succeeded by Baylor his religious relative and then the point is he dies like that that the point is darren dies he dies john dies like soon great awesome yep the point is he dies yep so maybe john should not be worshiping darren the young dragon is all i'm saying yeah no he shouldn't but like that that's part of the thing right that's where we see that john is still so young uh he would have i guess theoretically he was supposed to be what Close to his 20s, or in his early 20s, mm -hmm. had the five-year jump happened. Yeah. But, I mean, that's still that's still a time when people... Growth is ever, ever happening, right? This shows how young he was, right? That he had those childish fantasies of, like, yeah, I'm gonna idolize a really, like, cool, great fighter who died young. Yeah. Yeah, except that's what it's about. There's, like, a... There's a very fruitful line in Hamilton the Musical that's, uh... First, you start off with, winning was easy, young man governing is harder but also like 
living was easy, young man dying is harder or something. And it's so good. And that's like, there's a lot of this coming in for John. He's learning what life and death is really all about and what ruling a people is and commanding a people actually means. He's seeing the toll it takes as the wildlings, you know, die in the Weirwood Grove. He's seeing what it's taken for these people to hold on to their freedom and what freedom really means to them. He understands that. He respects that. I mean, yeah, fucking Egret doesn't just, like, implant that sense of freedom into you that all of a sudden now you get it, but Mm -hmm. he has more empathy to understand them and understand what it means. So I'm gonna say something very strange and crazy here, right? Okay. So John idolizes... And very much respects, looks up to Darren, the young dragon, who did all the things that you said mm-hmm. and died young, conquered Dorne briefly, and then then was assassinated. But those assassins ended up being forgiven. Is Darren, the young dragon, who did all this conquering, etc., died young, Daenerys? And is that why I was John... That. Likes him. I mean, absolutely. He's a conqueror. Well, that's part of what he's so drawn to in her, maybe. Well, because the whole time we've been sitting here talking about it, I just thought, Darren's such a dummy. Like, the only reason he went to Dorne was for his pride. These people have lived without the Targaryens ruling them in Dorne for so long. And the only reason he went there was pride, because no Targaryen had done it yet. That's the only reason he went there and did it. Like, he just wanted them to, you know, bend to the rule. And obviously he was trying to send diplomatic people there and it turned bloody very early on. And it's like, why? Yeah. And I mean, like, for Daenerys, it, it's a bit of pride, but also not. Yeah. I mean, right? hers is different. Like, they literally sent Quentin to, like, try and get her to join mm-hmm. the cause. Like, she thinks that they are already thrown in, mm-hmm. right? She doesn't know that there's also another another wild card in the mix with Fagon. Yeah. All these wild cards. Yes, absolutely. Some twists. Truly. <laughs> yeah, it's it's definitely something that's pointing toward his future of liking conquerors. Uh, like we talked about last episode with that smell of fire and smoke, you know, mm-hmm. that came along and how that's what Daenerys is going to smell like. She's going to smell like blood and smoke, fire and smoke. That's going to be interesting. Yeah, he's going to smell and he's going to be like, what is this feeling that I'm feeling? We're not even going to get Daenerys in this book. Eliana. He dies at the end. That's true. They're not going to see each other. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's not true. She sees him in her dreams. That's true. She does. Mm-hmm. She hears a wolf somewhere Ow! off in the distance. And she like dreams of a young, beautiful lover. It's him. She doesn't know, but it's him. Well, guys, thanks so much for listening to John 7 in A Dance with Dragons. As always, make sure you're subscribed to us on podcast platforms. That is where we will upload new episodes every Friday, except for the last Friday of the month for John. Soon we will be done. I've got, what, like five episodes left? Something like that. Six, five, something around there. Can't wait. We will move on to a new POV and miss John terribly, but come back to him hopefully when the Winds of Winter is out someday. So subscribe to us on podcast platforms to hear those episodes, which are Spotify, Google Play, iTunes, Podbean, and Acast and Stitcher, and a bunch of other platforms you might see our RSS feed up on. And of course, maybe you have something to say in response to this chapter or any of the other chapters. Or, you know, of course, to keep up with when those releases come out on all those platforms, you could send us a tweet or follow us on Girls Gone Canon, C-A-N-O-N, on Twitter, 
or shoot us an email at girlsgonecanon at gmail.com. And don't forget to check out our Patreon. We did put out an episode that is related to His Dark Materials last month. It is an episode on the Golden Compass. Patrons $5 and up can get that episode. It is a video episode where we drink wine and talk about why the movie did not hit your dream goals for a Golden Compass movie. This month, we have talked about doing something extra new for Song of Ice and Fire patrons, and you will be getting an episode by the end of November about House Valerian. Yes. So, as you all know, House of the Dragon has been announced, but we were like, what? let's talk about one of the wings of the House of the Dragon, House Valerian, closely tied to the Targaryens. So, for everyone who is subscribed at $5 and up on our Patreon, they will get that episode. But again, we have one for the Golden Compass, and we are currently watching and responding to the His Dark Materials BBC slash HBO show. There's a lot of things that surprisingly are very similar to the movie. Yeah, a lot. So check that out at our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash girlsgonecanon. And as always, I have been one of your hosts, Chloe. And I've been another one of your hosts, Eliana. Bye, guys. Bye.